morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, and Johnny Crypto will be joining me later in the episode, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how Ripple CEO is calling out Gary Gensler, stating he's a political liability harming the everyday investor. We're also going to break down the latest updates from Davos, where Brad Garlinghouse gave a 14-minute interview talking about the USA, a Ripple IPO, and the crypto market overall. So we got a very exciting episode prepared. And uh, Johnny Crypto, welcome to the show, my friend. Shout out to you, bro. We got some exciting news prepared for today, but we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do, by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. When we look at some of our daily movers this morning, Johnny, it is fairly optimistic in the market. We're looking at green bubbles across the board. We got some of our favorite projects moving today. We got HBAR, Solana, Cardano, and VeChain all up about 2 to 3%. We also got Algorand up 3% of the day. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at $1.69 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 18%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 43,300. Ethereum is 2,500. We've got Solana sitting at 97 and XRP trading at 57 cents this morning. And Johnny, we already got 230 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. First of all, how you feel, my friend, before we dive into this news? I feel great abs and good morning to all the water maniacs out there. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to another great, another great day in the matrix abs. And we got the news to bring, we got exciting news to bring for our listeners this morning because we're going to be highlighting all of the updates from Davos. They were talking about Bitcoin ETFs, artificial intelligence, and of course, the crypto market overall. We got CBDCs entering the conversation. But Johnny, I thought this would be a good place to start the episode because Brad Garlinghouse gave a 14-minute interview this morning at Davos, and we're going to be breaking down the majority of that throughout today's show. But this was a political statement that really stuck out to me. So Ripple CEO calls the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's chairman a political liability. Brad Garlinghouse called the SEC's commission chair, Gary Gensler, a political liability due to his enforcement actions broadly against the entire agency. He said, the SEC's chief track record on regulating the crypto industry and lengthy delays to approving a spot Bitcoin ETF product, as well as high profile lawsuits against companies like Ripple, is what has led to this political conclusion. I do think the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, is a political liability, said Brad Garlinghouse. And this is harmful to the United States. I think he's not acting in the interest of the citizenry. He's not acting in the interest of the long-term growth of the economy. And I just don't understand it. I think at some point, there will be a new chairman of the SEC. And I think that will be good for the American people, Johnny Crypto. Shout out to Brad Garlinghouse for bringing the powerful information in. This is just one of the good quotes we found this morning. But what do you think about Brad bringing the heat on this Monday or Tuesday. Sorry. I think Brad's definitely pissed off. You know, he's not happy about the whole fact that Gary just has not been pro crypto. But as I said earlier, I don't know if this is more of a Gary issue as much as this is an administration issue. Listen, remember this. Gary's a puppet. Gary's just, Gary doesn't have the power. You guys think Gary's being directed and told what to do. And Gary does what Gary's told what to do. So the reality is a new change in chair isn't going to really help us. Unless there's a change in in the the uh, the thinking at the top, right? And so, either that has to happen, or the administration itself needs to have a change. And 
And who knows? We'll see what happens in the next election, where we go and what that's like. We know that I think if if we get a Republican in the office, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a, a much more pro-crypto, um, what's the word? Faction. More crypto, yes. Versus, you know, if we continue with the same administration, I think it's going to be more of an anti-crypto approach. Well, here's something that's positive for the entire crypto market, Johnny, is that what you're saying is is literally happening. When you talk about the big boys who control the SEC, who are you referring to? The financial firms. You're referring to the financial firms, the people like BlackRock, JP Morgan, Citibank, all these big companies that are now not only excited about crypto, but legitimately launching products in the U.S. market. So there's a ton of optimism entering the market. And Brad Garlinghouse says that the U.S. is falling behind. This is a video that I made this morning. Shout out to Cap and Cut for allowing me to make these edits here, Johnny. But what uh, Brad Garlinghouse said within this video is two very important things. First of all, he said he sees a bright and optimistic future heading into 2024. But he also states the idea of an IPO amid the regulatory challenges with the SEC. It's nearly impossible, guys. And he states it's not a it's not even a political debate. It's the way that the U.S. treats crypto assets today that is creating this situation. So shout out to Johnny. It's much bigger than Gary Gensler, guys. Gary Gensler is a talking puppet. He's a figurehead. But the big money behind the scenes is what matters. And that's why we played Larry Fink's video for about 12 minutes yesterday. But we got 371 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is Brad Garlinghouse just this morning out of Davos. Started this conversation. I am very optimistic about the crypto market in 2024. Uh, because of those things around putting compliance first, right? making sure we focused on solving real problems for customers and not just the speculative cycle, I think will put the whole industry on a really good trajectory. So, you know, we have been cash flow positive the last couple of years. Uh, you know, that has been a unique place in the market and allowed us to invest not only in the core of Ripple, but also in acquisitions. And even, you know, recently you may have, we've now repurchased uh, over a billion dollars of stock from our shareholders. Uh, that's Quite frankly, because it is not an immediate term priority to go public. Uh, you know, in the United States, trying to go public with a very hostile regulator that has to approve your S1, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. You know, Coinbase obviously had their S1 approved, and now the SEC is suing them for doing things that was outlined in their S1. Now, that, as I mentioned, there's a hearing tomorrow in the U.S. about some of that. But I think it's indicative of... Uh, why would we want to subject ourselves to an SEC that is openly hostile to this industry? Sort of parked to the side at this point. So there's a second part of that video that we are going to get into, Johnny. But for the sake of the conversation, let's pause it right there. They're not going to be able to IPO in the United States because the SEC would never approve a Ripple IPO. And even if they did approve the S1, they sued Coinbase after the fact. So even if they get through the first stage of regulation, they know that there's a black swan sitting on the door. Anybody who goes in, meets with the SEC, inevitably comes out with a lawsuit for some reason. And Brad says the track record speaks for itself. Kraken, Binance, Coinbase, all of them are being sued by the SEC right now, Johnny. And why is that? Because you regulate these markets through enforcement of the exchanges. You don't have the resources to go after 12,000 tokens, but you do have the resources to go after seven major exchanges. That's exactly what Brad Garlinghouse is talking about in this clip. So floor is yours before we play the end of this, because he says some much more exciting things about Ripple, XRP, and the crypto market in 2024. Well, he's 100% right. I mean, and I said this yesterday on the show, right? <laughs> they can't go for an IPO until the court case gets done. That's number one. And then number two, now even if it's done, you're sitting there with a hostile SEC that the reality is until you get some kind of change, I have to go back to it, whether it's a change in, in mentality at the SEC or they're going to shift their, their tune. I mean, we've all seen it. You know, Larry has flipped. He's done a complete WWE heel turn. 
if Gensler in the in the uh, SEC does a heel turn and becomes pro crypto, then you'll see them apply. But if they don't and they continue to remain in the heel role, then no, they're they're not going to. There's no there's no value in them applying until until the 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 sentiment changes, and we know why it hasn't changed yet because we played that video from that lady. Yes, I forgot what her name was. Oh, what the hell was her name that you played? Uh, where she described that cryptocurrency is not currency. Remember, guys, cryptocurrency is an asset. We'll tell you what is currency. That's why this is going on. If you want to know the truth, that's that's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's the answer. The banks are saying, Gary, keep the pressure on it. You're not going to let these things become currency. And that's the bottom line. That's what it is. And once they get their head wrapped around and they're able to tell the world that cryptocurrency isn't currency, then it will become pro currency. And that's the day we're waiting on, Johnny Crypto. And I think that we could see it in 2024, depending on what people do outside of the U.S., right? What's the best thing that could happen to crypto investors in the USA? The UAE, China, Europe, all of them begin passing regulations. That's what could put the most pressure on Gary Gensler. And I want to go back to this article before we play the end of that video. What did Brad say? The track record speaks for itself. They approved Coinbase, guys. They approved them. To operate in the United States, to IPO to regular everyday investors like me and you. And then they sued them after the fact for doing something illegal, which was what? Offering unregistered securities. It's like a loop. It's like one of those ironic loops. It just goes around and around. And at the end of the day, we're going to see a shift. 2025, Gary Gensler's out of office. This is a matter of fact. Doesn't matter how you feel about Gary. 2025, he's done. And whoever comes in is going to have quite the job, a harder job than whoever takes over for Bill Belichick, Johnny Crypto in New England because they're going to have to not only clean up the mess, but fix the reputation of the SEC when it comes to people outside the U.S. wanting to bring their companies here to make money. So any quick comments before I play the clip? That's that's true. Now, what will happen is when that new person comes in, it'll, it'll come with a sentiment already built around it. So depending on what happens, if it's still the same administration, well, even if you get a new chair, the sentiment's still going to be anti-crypto. If there's a new administration and a new chair – then the sentiment may be pro crypto, and that'll automatically now what every company is going to do is they're going to be watching, like a hawk. They're going to be watching to see what the SEC's first actions are with any company that does something. When they apply, what does it look like? Are they working with them, or are they still suing them? And that that first or second interaction with the first companies that start to do stuff or filings with the SEC, depending on how that turns out, that's going to dictate what the sentiment looks like and how easy or hard it's going to be going forward for other companies uh, to come in and apply and, and, and get, you know, do things. So it, it may open the floodgates if you get a very pro crypto approach and a pro crypto, um, you know, chair and sentiment. So again, hard to say, we'll have to wait and see what happens there, but I'm almost certain that right now, the way things are, you're not going to see a ripple IPO. Uh, they, I did hear there was going to be a circle IPO. So, I mean, it depends Ripple's definitely not going to do it. Brad doesn't want to deal with the headache. He's no, he knows it's going to be a nightmare. And I was just going to bring that up on Tuesday, guys. We covered, or maybe it was yesterday. We covered this on the show. Circle is going to be IPOing. They've at least filed the paperwork in the United States. So Johnny said, what companies can we look for to see if they're actually still attacking these people? Circle would be the one I'm keeping an eye on. If Circle gets approved in the U.S. and then is able to operate freely for two or three years, I would say that, that, but then again, now that I say it out loud, that's still a very long-term approach, Johnny. So there's not going to be a day today or tomorrow where we know these things, but we can debate for ourselves. If you're not early, you're late. That goes well beyond the crypto market, guys. But we got 476 live listeners joining us. 
Show us some love. Smash that like button. Here's the latest update from Brad Garlinghouse out of Davos. Point. Yeah, I mean, or are you I looking elsewhere I, outside the U.S. for a listing? I, I mean, yes to all of those. Okay. Uh, I don't think about an IPO as an exit. I think about an IPO as a step in the journey. Uh, but honestly, a lot of people go public because they need to raise capital. Yeah. Ripple's not really in a place where we need to raise capital. And so it, it is not a short-term priority. We're obviously keeping that option open, uh, and we'll evaluate it you know, as, as time continues. And we'll evaluate it again as we have uh, new regulators sitting at the United States SEC. And I guess some of it's market-dependent as well. Last year was an interesting Comments, Johnny? Bingo. I mean, he just told you, new, waiting for new regulators at the SEC. I think when there are new regulators, you'll start hearing about an IPO because, you know, he's right. They're flush with capital. They don't need it, but they're also going to take advantage of getting that capital to put more in their bank when the markets are high. So if you've got a bull run going on and things are high, that's exactly when coin, uh, coin, that's when, um, oh my God, Coinbase, that's when Coinbase went public when the markets were bull running, right? At the peak, because you get maximum extraction, maximum value out of it. So, uh, my guess is if there was a friendly chair in the office, he would be talking about an IPO. But right now he's saying, hey, we don't need it. It's not a high priority. And we don't like who the guy who's in the office. So those three factors are basically going to, I think, stop them. But don't be surprised if we get a new chair, if you start to hear Brad flip a little bit and say, oh, yeah, you know what? We're considering an IPO now. I well, think- you talk about Brad flipping. Think about this. Jay Clayton was the one who filed the lawsuit against Ripple back in 2020. He's done a WWE heel turn as well. He's now not only saying he feels bad for crypto investors, he's like, I have sympathy for you guys. I feel for you. Well, you did the most harm in the crypto market, my friend. So I feel for you. I screwed you, and now I feel bad for you guys. You know what? That's called guilt, Jay Clayton. Let's play the end of this clip, and then we'll talk about it, Johnny Crypto. Here we go. That's what it's called, man. Space in the tech world more broadly, there were a lot of secondaries, buybacks, but very few IPOs. The market wasn't obviously very great for them. So I guess it's also, you know, how, how the broader markets play out as well. For sure, that's part of it. And it, yeah. not just the public markets, but also the crypto markets. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think uh, Coinbase's stock is in a much stronger position now than it was a year ago, but uh, obviously well off its highs from three years ago when it went public. So I, it's just not a huge priority. We have a lot of capital, very strong balance sheet. We can continue to play offense through an acquisition point of view, invest in the business. You know, as we started this conversation, I am very optimistic about the crypto market in 2024. And that's exactly where we're going to end that conversation, Johnny Crypto. So despite all the negativity about the possibility of IPOing in the US, broadly, he is very optimistic about the crypto market heading into 2024. And like we showed you at the beginning of this clip, that's because of real world utility entering the market. Let's take a second to talk about Ripple being at Davos, Johnny, because we're going to play this update right here. We're also going to show you guys the latest update on XRP, thus non-security, according to Brad Garlinghouse. And this was said at Davos this morning as well. But think about what's happening. The biggest companies on the planet are coming together to discuss the future of the world. What's the most important narrative? What's the most important thing for the most powerful people to be paying attention to? That's what these conversations are about. So here's where... I went down a Twitter rabbit hole and I'm losing, I'm kind of stumbling over myself here because on Twitter, people are very upset about Ripple not only participating in this event, but being supportive of men like we're showing on the screen, right? Klaus Schwab, my good friend, obviously a joke. 
But, <laughs> but the reason that I'm pointing this out is because, guys, just because people are at these events, like the CFTC commissioner is going to be at this event. Everybody who's at this event doesn't mean they're a bad player. Like, I know that may be hard to hear. It, may, it might make me sound naive, right? But, but why is Ripple attending this? Because they have the most insight into the emerging market that the richest people on the planet want to learn about. That's what's happening here. It's like, why is the best AI company coming to this event? Well, yeah, they may be evil. They may be good people. But at the end of the day, it's because they're the best in the industry. That's why Klaus Schwab gave them a phone call. So regardless of how you feel personally about Ripple participating in this event, when you think about it from a, a dollars and cents standpoint, and people are commenting the WEF is evil, like we're on the same page here, guys. I'm just trying to paint the picture of why is Ripple participating? They're not just some evil company. They're the best in the industry at what they do. And that's who shows up to these global events. So Johnny, any quick comments before we move on? Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're not sitting at the table, you're not going to move forward. And that's the bottom line. Is you Sometimes you have to, unfortunately, play in the mud uh, and get dirty a little bit to be able to advance. And that's what it is. And nobody's going to like that. None of you are going to like it. You're all going to say it's corrupt. Say, yeah, we get that. You think we're, we're knuckleheads? We know. We know what the story is with the WEF. But listen, here's the bottom line. If you don't understand that you're not going to get to where you want to go without going through the WEF, you got your head in the sand. The bottom line is it goes through them and they have to be there. They have to shake hands with the uglies, you know, or whatever in the mud and get dirty a little bit and then kind of get through that phase and then go and get the product out there. So if you care about or you're a holder and you want to see this technology get adopted and get out there, well, guess what? They got to play. It's like, it's like, you know, in the, in the in the 80s and 90s, if you wanted to build something in New York, you had to work with the mob. It didn't matter. There was no way you were getting anything built if you didn't work with the mob. It's just that's it. So let me ask you the follow-up, right? Because it's such an easy one. Does everyone who worked with the mob, were they a willing person or were they just saying, well, I got no choice here? What we Some were willing, right? And, and a lot were like, no choice. You just had no choice. Like if I wanted to start my business, or if I want to have a business, I want to do something, work here. I have to go through this group of people. And then a lot of them didn't like it, but they didn't have a choice. Nothing was going to get done. And so it's a similar kind of concept here. That's how you have to think about it. So yes, you're right. You know, call me evil, call me this, call me that, whatever. The bottom line is if you want stuff to happen, things need to go there. So you just got to kind of suck it up and say, okay, I understand why they're doing it. And they're going to get through that phase. And then hopefully for the good of the world and the adoption, we get good technologies out there. It could be used by people, so on and so forth. And, you know, and then some of our investments can actually take off. So that's how you have to think about it. Abs. Johnny, we got 537 people here. This is the latest update from Brad Garlinghouse on the SEC. He said the SEC has lost consistency in this case and XRP is not a security. Let's hear what Brad had to say this morning and then we'll have a conversation about it. Here we go. Judge Torres's opinion, what she wrote is XRP is in and of itself not a security. So I feel very good about that. The SEC then asked for approval to appeal that decision, and that was denied. So, I mean, look, the SEC has lost consistently in this case. Uh, there is a piece of the case that continues around institutional sales because investment contracts where Ripple sold XRP to in institutions who wanted to speculate. The irony there is, you know, again, the SEC's one of their missions is to protect investors. How many of our institutional XRP sales did they lose money? None. <laughs> so, like, what, what are we arguing about? What are we? Like, anyway, say round of applause for Brad Garlinghouse, CEO of Ripple.
So pretty ironic, guys, right? The whole mission here is to protect people, but the only people they're protecting are the ones who made money, and they're actually pulling the profit away. Very, very interesting, Johnny. I don't want to spend too much time. we got a bunch of other good stuff, but what do you think? Oh, I think what he's trying to say is the SEC is supposed to protect investors, but guess who got hurt? When the SEC sued Ripple, the institution didn't lose money and get hurt. It was the investor, the retail investor, the very same investor that the SEC is supposed to protect. They actually got screwed. They got hurt. That's what Brad is trying to say. He's like, no, they're not. They're hurting everybody. So it is, it is, it is ironic that at the end of the day, the very people they're supposed to protect got hurt. And then the very people that understand the market Okay, the institutions who, who are already accredited investors <laughs> information. Actually, that's the part that got deemed a security. It's hilarious, Abs. You really can't even make this stuff up. Like they say, sometimes reality is stranger than fiction, Johnny Crypto. But we got 576 live listeners here. Check out this video from this morning because obviously these are all updates from Davos. And that's what we're going to be breaking down throughout today's episode. But think about this, Johnny Crypto. Guns are blazing. All it is like shots are being fired. Nobody's holding back when it comes to the SEC anymore. And it's narratives like these being said by people like Brad Garlinghouse, David Schwartz, Chris Larson, some of the most powerful people in the United States when it comes to finance are speaking out against regulatory agencies. That's something that 20 years ago we wouldn't see. You agree with me, Johnny? I think you do. We're behind the scenes. He's nodding his head. But here's what we're going to talk about next, guys. Brad Garlinghouse talks about when there's change in the SEC, we will see mass adoption in the U.S., but right now, Gary Gensler is a political liability, and that's what he states within this clip. Here we go. There's an expression about, uh, you know, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and not expecting a different outcome. I think Gary Gensler is doing the same thing over and over again, and it, it thinks that somehow he's going to win in court. He has continued to lose in court. Uh, I do think the chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has become a political liability in the United States. Ouch. I think he's not acting in the best interest of the citizenry. He's not acting in the best interest of the long-term growth of the economy. Uh, and it, it, I don't understand it. And I think at some point, you know, there will be a new chair of the SEC. And I think uh, that'll be a good thing for the American people. Uh, there were a couple of interesting things after that Bitcoin ETF. All right, we're going to talk ETFs next, but give me some comments, Johnny. I, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, <laughs> he's, you know, it's cool when you win the case, you actually can kind of go out there and bash the guy, you know. I don't think he'd be talking like this if, if, if the case wasn't over. But he's definitely taking some shots at Brad, I mean, at, uh, at, at Gary. He's not happy about the whole entire thing. No question about it. And so, I mean, it cost them $200 million. That's a shit ton of money. And what, three years of their lives. And more importantly, what it cost them was adoption. It hurt us because Ripple is three years behind the curve in the U.S. because they couldn't move forward. And they ended up having to go overseas and work work overseas and try to spread the seeds of their technology there. But they were not able to do it in the U.S. and it hurt them. So, you know, I think Brad's a little bitter about that. And uh, I think until we again, I don't think we need a new chair. Don't think I mean, don't wait. Let me rephrase. I don't think a new chair could be the answer, because if you put a new chair in there without a change of sentiment at the top, you're in the same exact boat that you're in right now. You're just going to have a new puppet doing the same kind of stuff. You need a change in sentiment. And that we saw a change in sentiment in one particular area, the ETFs. We saw the change. You saw the heel turn. Everybody saw Fink make it. And then once the heel turn happened to, 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 to the hero, voila, Bitcoin ETF is approved, right? And, and don't forget, it got approved with Gary as a Democrat 
voting with the Republicans. So he flipped. He, Gary did a heel turn, but only in one specific area of crypto, just on the BTC ETF. He already said for rest of crypto, he's still coming at it hard. So the sentiment has not changed for crypto. It's only changed for the Bitcoin ETF. You're spot on, Johnny. Let's hear what Brad Garlinghouse has to say about the ETF as well. Uh, was approved in that statement. One, and I paraphrase here, was effectively Gary, Gary Gensler saying, just because we allowed the Bitcoin ETF, don't think we're now going to allow a bunch of other crypto assets. The second interesting thing was the price of Ether skyrocketed immediately after on hopes that there could now next be an ETH ETF. Um, what are the chances of that? I think it's a certainty. This year? I, I, I'm not going to put a horizon on the time, but I think there will be other ETFs for sure. An XRP but, one? Uh, there will be other ETFs for sure. <laughs> but, but an XRP one? <laughs> <laughs> I love this game we play. Look, uh, I am very That's optimistic. the last time I lost. I lost. I just, that's fine. <laughs> but look, the sad part of that reality is we have a Bitcoin ETF only because a U.S. court said to the SEC, you're being arbitrary and capricious in your applyment of, of your applica application of the law. What would be sad is if every ETF had to go through that same journey and for Gary Gensler to get smacked down by the U.S. court system again. That, that might be it might be necessary. But, it, you know, again, at some point, I think Gary Gensler won't. All right. We're going to talk about this clip a couple of minutes here, guys, because he talked about an XRP ETF and we got 635 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this Tuesday. All we saw last week. Let me check setting. All we saw last week, guys, was a video of Larry Fink circulating because Charlie Gasparino, as Johnny would say, had the cojones to ask Larry Fink if they would be launching an XRP ETF. What did we get? Silence and laughter. What is the same response we got from Brad Garlinghouse here, guys? Silence and laughter. Now, the reason I believe that these, that these responses are taking place is one of two things. One, it's inevitable. It has to come to the market. There's just too much money to be made. We saw Grayscale file for an XRP trust back in 2020, and it wasn't until Ripple was sued by the SEC that Grayscale rebuked that application. We would have had an XRP product today if it wasn't for the SEC lawsuit. So that's another example of them being harmed. The second thing is maybe that's just, and I don't know a better way to phrase this, guys, but an uninformed slash dumb narrative. Because when you think about what XRP is built for, it is built for tokenization. It is built for central bank digital currencies, but it's also built to enhance the value of fiat currencies, making fiat instantaneous by using the XRPL greatly expands the capability. So when people are talking about what if we get $25 million from a grayscale ETF, I think that's why they're laughing here, guys. It, when you think about the big picture, it is a very small narrative. And that's why people like Brad Garlinghouse and Larry Fink, while they understand it's inevitable, probably don't take it very seriously. What do you think, Johnny Crypto? Maybe you have a different response. Oh, no, I mean, I think the whole thing about a, uh, an XRP ETF is, I think eventually that's coming. It's just going to be hard to come right now. I mean, th there's no way the SEC, I, I find it hard to believe that the SEC is just going to approve an XRP ETF when they're still battling them in court. It just makes no sense. Uh, I think you have to get past that. That's number one. And then number two, as I said earlier, is there has to be, you know, because there's been a little bit of sentiment change with ETFs, it may be that they're more likely to allow some of them to go through. I'm sure we're going to get an ETH ETF. It's very, it's only a matter of time. And then the question is, how does the, we, we know that the Bitcoin ETF was easy to, to think that it was going to happen because we know that BTC gear hits, it wasn't secure. The ETH ETF, 
we know ETH has been given a free pass. So the ETH ETF makes sense. That can be fine. The question that's going to be interesting to me is do we get any other ones? Because we know those two have been given a pass. When they allow the other ones, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different ballgame because Gary already said, and, and, the, and, and the host actually brought this up when he was asking Brad the question, already said, hey, we're coming after the rest of crypto. The rest of crypto is not off the hook. Okay, so they're going to allow these two. Now, if they're still coming after the rest of crypto, are they going to allow ETFs for some crypto? That's going to be a very mixed message. That's going to be a very, very interesting thing to see. Again, I don't know if we're going to get the rest of them until either we get a change in the top, change in the sentiment, or, boy, that'll be some massive confusion if they start allowing some of these other ETFs to happen while still going after crypto. That's going to be very, very interesting. We'll have to see how that whole thing plays out. Guys, comment in the live chat. Do you want me to play that Larry Fink video again? If anybody hasn't seen it, I'm more than willing to play it. It's only about 15 seconds, but this is a clip everybody needs to pay attention it's to. 15 because... seconds. Let's play it. Well, I got to find it first. So, Oh, okay. That explains <laughs> but... I thought you had it right there. <laughs> Thank you. But this is a clip that we are going to pay attention to, guys, because Larry Fink is dropping bombshells when it comes to the utility for the crypto market. Now, there's one quote everybody should pay attention to, and it's right here. Larry Fink, the CEO of a $10 trillion asset management company, BlackRock, said the next step going forward is the tokenization of financial assets, every stock and every bond. Let me say that one more time. Every stock and every bond is not going to be securitized and it's not going to be produced on Bitcoin. Let's get that straight. But when we talk about these things happening on our favorite projects, that's where XRP, XLM, HBAR, Algorand, those types of currencies conversation. With that being said, here's Larry Fink talking about the tokenization of every stock and every bond important to be anticipating the next move. I, we believe the next step going forward will be the tokenization of financial assets. And that means every stock, every bond will have its own basically QCIP. It'll be on one general ledger. Every investor, you and I, will have our own number, our own identification. We could rid ourselves of all issues around illicit activities about bonds and stocks and digital by having a, 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 a tokenization. But the most important thing, we can customize strategies through tokenization that is, if it's every individual, we would have instantaneous settlement. Think about all the costs of settling bonds and stocks. Mm. But if you had a tokenization, everything would be immediate mm. because it's just a line item. And so we believe this is a technological transformation for financial assets. I believe if, if you want to talk about like voting, Let's just pause it there. I think that you get the majority of what the message is, guys. Not only is this beneficial, they're ready to profit off of this technology. We got better news to get into, so quick thoughts, Johnny. Oh, I think Gary just projected where we're headed. I mean, Gary. Larry. <laughs> I think Larry just projected where we're headed at the end of the day. He just told you, you know, tokenization is where it's at. That's where we're headed. Uh, and more importantly, real-world settlement was huge. I mean, he's talked about it. The banks have talked about it. Everybody's talking about it. That is really where it's at. That changes the game. That changes the whole entire financial system and how it works on the back end behind the scenes, simplifies everything, speeds things up, lowers costs, win-win for all these financial institutions that are spending tons of money on the back end to make the monetary system run. So huge for them. And that's why, you know, that's why a lot of us are investing here in these spaces because we, we believe that some of these real world 
uh, cryptocurrencies or blockchains will solve that and lead to you know potentially some generational wealth here. And it reminds me of the quote we got from Rosie Rios earlier this year, or actually it was 2023, Johnny, where she said 2024 is the year where speculation turns into real world utility. And guys, we got 675 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. And this is an article everybody I'm sure is interested in. We're going to dispel the rumors around a $15 billion hack that allegedly happened over the weekend. But we're going to shut those rumors down because obviously this did not take place. $15 billion is like half of the circulating supply for XRP. So we're going to dispel the rumors on this show. Let's get right into this thing, Johnny. So hackers attempt to steal over $15 billion from XRP's Bitfinex, but they failed. The Bitfinex CEO revealed the hacking attempt was using the XRPL and nearly $15 billion in XRP was targeted. It was recently revealed by the CEO that there was an attempt to exploit their system using a feature of the XRP ledger network. The hackers attempted to move nearly $15 billion in XRP, half of XRP's total value, and it was noticed. However, the attempt was unsuccessful and the actual transaction was just a few cents of XRP. The attempt failed because the sender didn't have enough money to carry out the transaction. The aim was likely to trick Bitfinex into thinking it was a real transfer, which could then lead to a hack as Bitfinex system recognized the transfer as a partial payment, which is another feature of the XRPL where payments can be reduced. So what's happening here, Johnny? They found a feature on the XRPL where you can recall payments, right? So it, it actually allows transfers to happen very quickly. If I transfer $1,000 to Johnny, and then he's like, ah, oh, you, you didn't transfer the correct amount. Here's 500. You rebuke it. It happens instantly. It's a very great feature of the XRPL. That's what they were trying to exploit here. And that's what they were unsuccessful with. But let's defer to David Schwartz before I kick it uh, back to Johnny for a response here. So David Schwartz came forward to address the rumors about an alleged hack involving 25 billion XRP. Well, that was false. It turned out to be just a few cents. And he also said that the exploit was neutralized by Bitfinex using the XRPL correctly. So that's pretty exciting news as well. David Schwartz explanation was that he stated unequivocally that the incident was not due to any flaw or vulnerability in the XRPL. Instead, it highlighted the utility and security of the partial payments feature when it's used correctly. This feature is designed for complex financial transactions that allow for specific, sorry, allow for the specification of a maximum amount that can be sent, ensuring that receivers cannot be deceived by receiving less than expected. So it's an interesting nuance here. And obviously it's a little bit complicated if you're not a, a coder or whatever, but what happened? They tried to exploit a loophole. That loophole was shut down because Bitfinex acted correctly. The XRP had the correct procedures. Very exciting news. And I think it adds to the validity of this network. Before I kick it to you, Johnny, this is what he stated again. He stated unequivocally, the incident was not due to any flaw or vulnerability in the XRPL. So people have been seeing a lot of headlines, XRPL hacked 15 billion. And if you don't know, if you're not too familiar with crypto and you do this passively, then you may be confused. So just to dispel the rumors, there was not a hack. There was an exploit attempt and it was failed, but the attempt was worth 15 billion. So that's where that number's coming from. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours. Well, the way, the way, the way, uh, I kind of feel based on what you read there, it feels like the attempt could have gone through if they had the money. So I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Good point. I, I think, I think, uh, I think David is playing a little, this a little bit, you know, he's spinning this a little bit more than it should be. It sounds like if the money was there, it would have gone through. So, um, if you're and again, according to this article, anyway, it said it only failed because there wasn't enough money there. Uh, so the real question is if it had gone through, here's the real question. If it had gone through, 
could they have reversed it and taken it back quick enough? Is there a feature in there that allows them to recall it on recognition of that? Then I would say that's a really cool feature. But to come out and say, oh, they used it right. And if it, no, it failed because it just wasn't enough money to meet the need. And so let's say those attackers had come back, Abs, and they lowered it to one billion, and there was one billion, on, then they would have walked away with a billion. And we wouldn't be sitting here saying, oh, yeah, it's got a great feature that worked. So I'm not, I'm not so sure. You know, I'm sorry. I just got to call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? Fair it's play to you, Johnny Crypto. Honestly, I didn't see it from that perspective when I originally looked at the article because what I thought was that the procedures were set in place so that that exploit couldn't happen. But now that you rephrase it, if they had, let's say, $500 million, that would have gone through. Yeah, million right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'd be talking about, hey, the XRPL just got exploited. So, again, yeah, you got to, you know, listen, he's a CTO. He's doing his job. He's spinning it. But I'm just looking at it a little differently. If that article is written correctly, and the only reason why it didn't go through is for that very one reason, that they didn't have the funds for it to go through, well, then that doesn't tell me the XRPL did anything right. They were just lucky there wasn't enough money. They were lucky the hackers were greedy. Do your own research, my friends. I love what this Stephen Eckel had to say right here. But guys, we're going to talk about this Bitcoin demand increasing by the day. And I want to give a shout out to Gary Cardone. He did an interview with Digital Perspectives this morning. That was pretty cool. I was watching that before the show. But um, this isn't the latest update from BlackRock. And people were talking about, is the demand really there, guys? Are we going to see Citibank, JP Morgan, all these companies not only get involved, but bring the money behind them? The evidence is yes. As in only two days, in 48 hours, Johnny Crypto, BlackRock alone has absorbed nearly 11,500 Bitcoin from the market. Think about that. I'm going to do the math on the screen for our listeners while you're giving a response, but think about that. 48 hours and they absorbed 11,500 Bitcoin. Only 900 Bitcoin are produced daily. That means this one player alone was producing six times what was being produced daily during that two-day period. Now, it may just be an influx thing, but I've been saying it for a long time. Short-term pullback. Long-term, massive bull run. Floor is yours, Johnny Crypto. Well, I mean, this is just buying BTC in the open market, right? And so there's only 900 produced per day. Uh, so what that tells you right there is they're buying it in the open market from, from, from people who are out there. Now, over time, if they continue to absorb and buy these up, you're going to see that there's just they're going to run out of supply. And if the supply runs out, you're going to see the demand go up and the price will go up. Now, obviously, BC Backer came out yesterday and got everybody everybody's panties in a rough air by coming out and saying Bitcoin's going to 3000 So everybody's panicking right now. Even my cousin's all panicking, going crazy. Oh, my God, he went full Barracuda. But the reality is, you know, I mean, it, you know, there have been people who have been saying, clawing for a 12K BTC before we actually go back up. So we'll have to wait and see how the whole thing plays out, Abs. And I just look at it this way. Always have some gunpowder. Not gunpowder, but always have some bags of cash sitting on the side so you have the opportunity to buy some of these dips if they come. Because don't forget, the news is out, and they ha- it was a sell-the-news event like we've all been saying, and you're seeing everything pulling back. Price is pulling back. The miners are pulling back. Everything's dropping, and that's okay. I've always thought we were going to be dropping to the end of March anyway and going down into March, and then when the having comes you know, I think we'll see the flip the strip, flip the script, not switch, but flip the script. And I think we'll start to see the market go the other way. But until then, the news is out. There's nothing to get excited about. The narratives are over. And now it's just going to be, you know, negative. I think down, down, down for a while. Spot on, Johnny Crypto. And this is the latest update from Davos, guys, because they were emphasizing not only ETFs and crypto, 
artificial intelligence is one of their biggest concerns going forward. Let's hear what they have to say and ask the live chat what you think. The world that can tell you the difference between the world, the world complete and finished. But there's a way for you to understand it. If you use and embrace artificial intelligence, you will be complete. If you do not and you're late, you'll be finished. <laughs> and if you, if you reject it altogether, you will be completely finished. <laughs> <laughs> And you just hear all the evil laughs in the background. It's ridiculous, guys. But it is, we're trying to put a comical spin on it. Obviously, this is a very serious topic. They're talking about AI. But remember what the business is here, guys. You move the markets through fear. They're not going to tell you artificial is the best thing to ever happen. Instead, they're going to tell you, we need to be concerned about the emergence of artificial intelligence. Klaus Schwab is like an e it's like Dr. Evil. If anyone has seen Austin Powers, that is the Klaus Schwab is the embodiment of that man in, in many ways. But I don't want to get in trouble. We got 695 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Johnny Crypto, what's your takeaway? Because I do believe AI is a threat. I do believe that, you know, we need to adopt this technology. I use ChatGPT. It's a very helpful tool. But do I think it's going to replace humanity? No, that's a very spiritual conversation. I don't think it's a technology conversation when you take it that far. But what do you think, Johnny? Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's probably the biggest double-edged sword that we're going to see in our lifetime. Um, and it, it's going to be a big double-edged sword, in my opinion. Is it, it? It is extremely useful. I I've been using it a lot lately, and it's really, really good for certain things. So I'm not going to sit there and tell you, but I'm a human using it, right? Now that's the good part of it. it it's adding to humanity, adding to value. The bad, the scary part is if you take it and you embed it into robots and now robots are becoming in and you know and then and and will it i absolutely i mean yeah 20 years from now 20 years from now there's going to be robots running this show talking about this stuff and then they're getting humans so you can literally can i see it conceivable absolutely you can have robots with this kind of brain power uh self-learning machine learning ai combined with machine learning in a robot that can be a yeah that could be a scary thing. That's something that, you know, you're going to want to put some kind of governor controls on that kind of stuff, you know. But, Can I put uh, a little spin on this and kick it right back to you? Is that yeah. I, well, here's what I will say, guys, is that the only way that they can in, enforce these technologies is through compliance. Nobody can stop you. And this is a ridiculous statement. Don't take it at its word. But nobody can stop you from just packing your stuff up and going into the woods and, and being self-reliant. Like there's always that exit strategy because I feel like a lot of people feel anxiety and panic when we talk about these things like, the inevitability of AI, the fact that we're going to have CBDCs, everything will be on a public ledger. Like, yeah, that's the future that we're walking into. And if you feel overwhelmed, it's not its not like you have to comply. Go into this thing willingly, make the best out of the situation because of course you can go and hunt deer up in Buffalo if you'd like to. I don't think anyone's going to hunt you down, but if you want to be in the system, you want to live in a city, you got to understand what's on the horizon. And that's why we talk about this stuff every day. So I don't think it's overly negative. I just want to emphasize that like, Remember who's giving you the message. The messenger is almost as important as the message. And this man, he's clearly being, you know, he's using fear as a tactic. Johnny, any comments? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, I think there is a... We will move on, too. I, I don't want to I think there is legitimate, because unfortunately, I've got to hop off the show, as you know, but so I got to wrap it up here. But, you know, I'll just leave you with this. At the end of the day, you know, I think there certainly is some concern, valid concern of that, and that there needs to be some proper controls in place or uh you know you all saw the movie skynet could be pretty pretty scary at the end of the day so you know i think it's just something to be be, be aware of that's for sure 
Absolutely, guys. And we got 717 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And a, spank, a special thank you to Johnny Crypto this morning. Thank you so much, Johnny, for joining the show. We're oh, going to yeah. close it out with just the main, the man, the myth, myself this morning, guys. And we're going to talk about how Brad Garlinghouse is dropping bombshells over there in Dubai. Sorry, at Davos. But here's something I want everyone to keep in mind during this conversation. There will be a shift in the way that uh, crypto is regulated inside the United States. And that's what Brad Garlinghouse is hinting here, because when that moment comes to fruition, these markets will change forever. So show us some love, smash that like button and enjoy this video out of Davos. We'll pause it for commentary. It didn't sound like the SEC or, or the chair Gary Gensler changed their tone. Even after the approval of the Bitcoin ETF, there was a statement. Gary Gensler said he didn't endorse Bitcoin. Uh, he still called most other crypto assets securities. Is this posturing or do you think there's a chance the SEC has changed its stance? There's an expression about, uh, you know, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and not expecting a different outcome. I think Gary Gensler is doing the same thing over and over again, and it, it thinks that somehow he's going to win in court. He has continued to lose in court. Uh, I do think the chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has become a political liability in the United States. And I think he's not acting in the best interest of the citizenry. He's not acting in the best interest of the long-term growth of the economy. Uh, and I don't understand it. And I think at some point, you know, there will be a new chair of the SEC. And I think uh, that'll be a good thing for the American people. Uh, there were a couple of interesting things after that Bitcoin ETF uh, was approved in that statement. One, and I paraphrase here, was effectively Gary, Gary Gensler saying, just because we allowed the Bitcoin ETF, don't think we're now going to allow a bunch of other crypto assets. The second interesting thing was the price of Ether skyrocketed immediately after on hopes that they could now next be an ETH ETF. Um, what are the chances of that? I think it's a certainty. I think this be year? Other, I, I, I'm not going to put a horizon on the time, but I think there will be other ETFs for sure. An XRP I, but, one? I, there will be other ETFs for sure. <laughs> but, but an XRP one? <laughs> <laughs> I love this game we play. Look, uh, I am very That's optimistic. the last time, Austin. I just want to comment for one second here, guys, because the regardless of what you think about these products and how they're going to benefit or, or hurt these assets, an XRP ETF is a million percent on the horizon because of one thing in particular. We're going to see companies like Grayscale launch baskets of cryptocurrencies and offer them to investors. XRP will inevitably be involved in these baskets. It is the only currency with clarity inside of the United States. So when you talk about comparing it to other cryptos, it does have a regulatory advantage. But let's play the rest of the clip and hear what Brad has to say. That's fine. But look, the sad part of that reality is we have a Bitcoin ETF only because a U.S. court said to the SEC, you're being arbitrary and capricious in your applicant of, of your application of the law. What would be sad is if every ETF had to go through that same journey and for Gary Gensler to get smacked down by the U.S. court system again. That, that might be it might be necessary. But, it, you know, again, at some point, I think Gary Gensler won't be the chair of the SEC, and that will be a good thing for the American people. There's what the SEC does, and then there's what is going on in Washington uh, in, amongst lawmakers. And that's, those, are, those are linked, but also separate. Now, the U.S. hasn't passed any kind of comprehensive regulation around uh, crypto assets at this point. Unlike, you know, you see in the European Union with Mika and some of the other jurisdictions you mentioned Dubai, earlier yeah. as well, Dubai. Um, but there are a number of bills trying to make their way through the lawmaking process. One of those is around stable coins. There's a number of other others as well. Um, do you think that in 2024, there is the political will, 
given it's an election year as well, to, to pass some of these bills and bring them into law? I, I said earlier, I don't like to predict things based on time. And this one I will. I think this year there will be uh, legislation that passes. I, I won't be as uh, you know, predictive about which one. I think likelihood is that the stablecoin, uh, clarity for stablecoin. I can't remember the name of the bill that has been uh, you know, going through the, the system in Washington, D.C. But I think we will see that in part because the U.S. Treasury wants it. Right. I, mean, I think the stablecoin market has really surprised people in some ways in terms of solving a real need. And I think it only makes sense for there to be regulatory clarity around that. I think that's good for the whole industry. And you know, one of the things we, you said earlier is, you know, are there skeletons in the closet? The stablecoin market, because there hasn't been clear rules of the road, uh, it'll be interesting as that, that comes to fruition. You know, the two primary, obviously, USDT and USDC, I think they are you know, here to stay, and I think you're going to see other entrants in that market too. You, you said before that the, the, US, the U.S. risks losing some of the leadership around, around this industry, that other countries uh, have taken a lead, um, and a lot of that is due to what the SEC does and the fact there is a clear regulation in the U.S. If the regulation does pass this year, if there's clearer rules for the, for the road uh, for, the, for the broader industry, does that help? Will, will the U.S. be able to compete with some of these other jurisdictions who took an early lead in, in this industry? I, for sure, yes. I, I don't think the, the market has passed the U.S. I think it has passing. And you are seeing, I mean, look, we have publicly shared uh, over 70% of Ripple's hiring last year was non-U.S., despite the fact that there's still a majority of our employees in the United States. Why would we want to hire in a market where we have a hostile government? We have a government who won't provide the clarity we have asked for, where we had to fight for years and spend well, uh, well over $100 million dollars in the court system to fight them. So, you know, there will continue to be a lot of activity, I think, in London, in Dubai, in Singapore, in some of the other, uh, you know, capital, uh, financial capitals of the world. But I think the U.S. eventually figures it out. Uh, I don't know how to predict what's going to happen in the election cycle. But no matter what, there's going to be, you know, a, a shift, if you will. And I think we will see a shift at the SEC hopefully to a, a new chair that is uh, constructive and wants to work with the industry and not put their own agenda ahead of the, the American people's. And remember, guys, if regulation is going to provide clarity for this industry, we're going to move from speculation into utility. Companies will be leveraging XRP, Bitcoin, Ethereum for their real purposes. Smart contracts, store of value, instantaneous settlement. That's what's on the horizon in 2024. And Brad Garlinghouse can say it without actually saying it in that video. One of the things I also want you guys to remember is that the United States, they're not falling behind. They're willingly uh, suppressing this technology through the regulatory agencies like Gary Gensler is doing. So when we see that shift, there's almost nothing standing in the way. And I think that's what Brad is indicating in that clip. Let's hear the remainder. Um, I've been asking you this since 2020 because that's how long it's been going on for. Ripple versus the SEC lawsuit. When, when, when do we get a conclusion? Well, but most of it has been resolved, right? So the SEC filed a lawsuit in December of 2020, so just over three years ago, against me, against Chris Larson, and against Ripple. The case against uh, Chris and Brad, myself, uh, have been dismissed entirely with prejudice, meaning they can't ever bring it back. And the case against Ripple, they lost on everything they cared about. I mean, their primary tenet was that XRP is a security. And in the Judge Torres's opinion, what she wrote is, XRP is, in and of itself, not a security. So I feel very good about that. The SEC then asked for approval to appeal that decision, and that was denied. So, I mean, like, the SEC has lost consistently in this case. 
there is a piece of the case that continues around institutional sales because investment contracts where Ripple sold XRP to in institutions who wanted to speculate. The irony there is, you know, again, the SEC's one of their missions is to protect investors. How many of our institutional XRP sales did they lose money? None. <laughs> like, what are we arguing about? What are we, anyway, so look, that will uh, proceed through the court system for a little bit longer, but I, I feel very good about where we are. And I, I, I frankly really pleased for the whole XRP ecosystem and the whole crypto market benefited immensely from that legal win. Um, just for the last five minutes, Brad, let's talk about Ripple, what, what your uh, focus is this year, where, where you're going and the future. Um, for, for 2024, where are you putting your energy? Well, a couple things come to mind there. Obviously, uh, our core product around Ripple Payments has continued to grow, uh, and that's something we'll continue to invest in, more uh, payout markets around the world. We, uh, through an acquisition, entered the custody market in 2023. Uh, certainly, a lot of our investment, our incremental new investment in 2024, will be investing in the custody business. Uh, that, is, that in, is that in anticipation of sort of some of these bigger investors getting into the markets and well, I mean, I, on one hand, I would say yes. However, there's already a tremendous amount of demand. I mean, that business is growing very quickly. We announced publicly just a month or two ago that HSBC is a new uh, client of that business. So, you know, these are big accounts as well as more mid-market accounts. The custody business is very real and is going to continue to grow nicely. You know, I do think Ripple thinks about entering other vertical markets. So payments, custody, I think we'll do other things in 2024. Some of those will probably enter through acquisition. Uh, we've been super fortunate to have a very strong balance sheet at a time that uh, you know, the, the market has shifted and the, the valuations of a lot of these companies is not what it once was. That's been an opportunity for us. And so we're, we're going to continue to play offense. And what are the areas that interest you then? I was thinking about being your wardrobe consultant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to announce the world, you know, the key areas. But look, Ripple at its core is a blockchain infrastructure company serving enterprises. We started with payments and financial institutions. We've moved into custody. A lot of overlap with those same financial institutions. Uh, but we're going to expand with that same thematic of infrastructure, enterprise-based, uh, that served us well. And what what are your uh, growth expectations this year? What what revenue growth are you tracking this year? Will you be profitable this year? So you know we have been cash flow positive the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that has been a unique place in the market and allowed us to invest not only in the core of Ripple but also in acquisitions. And even you know recently you may have read we did a tender offer to our shareholders. Yeah. We've now repurchased uh, over a billion dollars of stock from our shareholders. Uh, that's something that's important to us. Quite frankly, because it is not an immediate term priority to go public. Uh, you know, in the United States, trying to go public with a very hostile regulator that has to approve your S1, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. You know, Coinbase obviously had their S1 approved and now the SEC is suing them for doing things that was outlined in their S1. Now, that, as I mentioned, there's a hearing tomorrow in the US about some of that, but I think it's indicative of uh, why would we want to subject ourselves to an SEC that is openly hostile to this industry? So, so in terms of an IPO, an exit of some sort, is that sort of parked to the side at this point? Yeah, or, I mean, or are I, you I looking elsewhere I, outside the U.S. for a listing? I, I mean, yes to all of those. Okay. Uh, I don't think about an IPO as an exit. I, I think about an IPO as a step in the journey. Uh, you know, shareholder liquidity is important to me. We have investors that first invested in Ripple in 2012. 
So uh, they've been in this deal for you know, 11 and a half years. And so we want to provide that liquidity, which is one of the reasons why we've done these tender offers and now repurchased over a billion dollars of stock. Uh, you know, we have looked at other jurisdictions that have clear rules of the road. But honestly, a lot of people go public because they need to raise capital. Yeah. Ripple's not really in a place where we need to raise capital. And so it, it is not a short-term priority. We're obviously keeping that option open, uh, and we'll evaluate it you know, as, as time continues. And we'll evaluate it again as we have uh, new regulators sitting at the United States SEC. And I guess some of it's market dependent as well. Last year was an interesting uh, you know, space with the, in the tech world more broadly. There were a lot of secondaries, buybacks, but very few IPOs. The market wasn't obviously very great for them. So I guess it's also you know, how, how the broader markets play out as well. For sure, that's part of it. And it, you know, yeah. not just the public markets, but also the crypto markets. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, Coinbase's stock is in a much stronger position now than it was a year ago, but uh, obviously well off its highs from three years ago when it went public. So I, it's just not a huge priority. We have a lot of capital, very strong balance sheet. We can continue to play offense through an acquisition point of view, invest in the business. You know, as we started this conversation, I am very optimistic about the crypto market in 2024. Uh, because of those things around putting compliance first, right. making sure we focused on solving real problems for customers and not just the speculative cycle, I think we'll put the whole industry on in a really good trajectory. How do you think the retail investor feels? Because the, you know, we know in previous cycles, uh, more broadly, you, know, you get the initial bump up, sort of at the phase we're in now. And what takes it really to those all-time highs is the, 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 the fever uh, amongst the retail investors. Now, the last cycle was was special. It was a very different crypto winter to one that we had seen before, characterized by a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of contagion, and then obviously the issues with FTA. Guys, I do just want to put some personal comments in here for copyright purposes. We got about a minute left in this interview. Let's hear what Brad has to say. Yes, and Binance as well. Um, do you think the retail investor at this point may be a little bit more cautious this time around, this cycle, about dipping the toe back in? I think probably yes, but you know, look, uh, one of the, I think advantages, I, I've been around the block once or twice. I remember the earliest days of the internet as we know it. And you know, that the retail investor really drove the hype cycle of internet 1.0. And I'm talking about 1999, 2000. And you know, then you had a washout in 2001, 2002, and that was a painful, you know, the dot-com crash. But today when we sit here, the some of the most valuable companies on the planet in Alphabet, Meta, you know, these are companies that were born of that era. And so I, I think that what happens in the short term around crypto is, you know, I, I take a very long view and I, I encourage whether you're a retail investor or an institutional investor, I think if you take a long term view about where these markets are going and why there's so much momentum despite the self inflicted wounds. I mean, again, as you and I talked backstage, Bitcoin's not that far from its all-time high right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very optimistic about what we're going to see this year. Um, Brad, just as we wrap up, uh, I was walking down the promenade yesterday, and crypto has been... I'm thrilled. You're thrilled. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We got 702 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Tomorrow, we will have a very exciting guest joining the show. The Bearable Bull will be joining the show tomorrow, guys. So be sure, smash that like, smash that subscribe button. We love you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us.